I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into a message that's called Resisting the Resisters. Uh-oh. It's going to get crazy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us. We're so thankful for the spaces where we get to kind of like cut away from all the distraction and all of the voices that are pulling us in different directions and to focus our hearts on what we need most, which is you. We don't need more of me. We don't need more of us. We don't need my voice. We need your voice. Would you help us to listen for it, to it through your word today? Uh, pray that you'd encourage and strengthen some people that have been rather discouraged by voices in their lives that hold them back and push them down. I pray that you would help us, through listening to your word, become people that celebrate the growth of others and lift other people up to make us more like Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen. I wanna to talk to you today. We've been in this series called New Year, Same You. That's because we're sick of all the, or I'm sick of all, maybe I shouldn't say we, I'll say I, and maybe a few of us are sick of all the New Year, New You stuff. That garbage doesn't work for me. New me, that lasts about three weeks if I'm lucky. And what I have found in my own life, and maybe you can relate, is I think that a more self-disciplined Josh Ott, a smarter Josh Ott, a more organized Josh Ott, a Josh Ott that actually sees a weight room once every three months, a Josh, a Josh Ott that doesn't hang clothes on the treadmill and still, still gets hung. Like, I think that's gonna make my life better. And I found that, like, the answer to what I'm really seeking in life more joy and more peace and more love and better relationships? The answer to getting all that is not more of me. Is it more of you? How's that working out, right? Like, we try and we do okay for a certain amount of time, but eventually life just kind of like sucker punches you, people wear you out, relationships get complicated, the gym is sweaty, you know, and like we, <laughs> we run out. What we need to experience the life we really should have, the life God's called us to, is not more of me. It's not more of you. It's just embracing more of what God's already given you. And so this has been the premise for this whole thing. It's like, same new year, same me, just more God. We've looked at messages in the last couple weeks like, same me, bigger God. Same me, more grace. Same me, listening to him, and that's what we talked about last week. And, and if you weren't here last week, we talked about how important it is to find space to listen to God, to make it an intentional, relational thing. And to do that, you have to kind of like create space and turn down the volume of all the other voices that are shouting all of their expectations at you, that are pushing all of their judgments on you, that are just increasing the weight of your life and wearing you down. We gotta turn those down. And the one we're talking about today is one of the hardest, most hurtful voices that you will experience. It's the voice of the resistors. Now, I know this. You may not be able to pinpoint an actual name and put it on a person, but you have resistors in life. It's a part of life, and it's a great struggle in life. 
that every time you try to do something right or you try to follow Jesus or you try to take a next step, you try to better yourself, you try to step into his purpose and design for you, you try to be a better friend or a better employee, a better boss or all of those things, the first thing that we often meet is not the voice of people going, yeah, you go, this is great, we support you. The first voice you usually run into is a voice that offers resistance to the direction you are heading. It's a voice that'll point out your flaws, that'll pull you down. Your, your friends will make fun of you. Your peers will highlight your weaknesses or your insecurities. Your boss will get critical of the stuff you do. Your parents will come up with a list of why you shouldn't. People will be quick to point out all of the reasons from your past that you shouldn't try to be better or do better or can't follow God. or It's the voice of the resistance and it's exhausting. It wears you down. It makes you not want to take that step. Have you ever been there? Like, oh, I want to take that step forward. And then the voice says, crank it up. And you're like, oh, why is it even worth it? There's nothing more exhausting than the voices of the resistors. And maybe you've heard it said that resistance makes you stronger. This garbage. Resisting resistance makes you stronger. If you, do, if you put 300 pounds on a bench press and you just have somebody lift it off for you and you don't resist it, it's just going to put you in the hospital. <laughs> it's not going to make you any stronger. And so what I want to talk to you about today is this passage in John chapter 9, this incredible story of Jesus healing something. And my hope for you, it's, my, it's the same as my hope for me, is that we can learn how to turn down the voices of some of the most hurtful people in our lives by learning how to resist the resistors. Now, you have probably met these people in your places of employment. You've met these people in the hallways of your schools. You met these people in churches. You've met these people in small groups. You, you maybe have People like this in your very homes. And I, I want to be careful because I want us to learn how to resist the resistors in a Jesus-like way that is kind of loving at the same time. The story we're going to talk about is found in John chapter 9, and if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. It's the whole chapter, so you're in for a long one today. <laughs> you with me, 11 o'clock? So far, we are. I love 11 o'clock because 11 o'clock's like you gotta earn it. We're with, you, we're with you up to this point, but that doesn't mean we're gonna be with you the whole way. You gotta, you gotta work for it. In John, John chapter nine, we have this incredible story. And this story, I think if you've had resistance, if people have jumped out of the woodwork to criticize the decision you made, if people have attacked you and tried to hold you back by highlighting something from your past, if people in your life have heaped on guilt just to keep you feeling 
somewhat down, a place they're comfortable in? If somebody in your relationship has, maybe even on the way to church this morning, you met resistance from somebody or something, I think this is a story that doesn't just give us some insight into understanding how to resist the resistors, but it also should give us some hope in who Jesus is. In John chapter 9, we pick up this story, and Jesus is going along, and he sees a man born blind. Now, it's interesting about people born blind, and this is horrific, uh, terrible, terrible theology that came out of uh, the, the Jewish religion back in their day. They would believe that if you were born blind, it was because, and listen to how jacked up this is, you sinned while you were in your mother's womb. Now, I know some of you are really good at making bad decisions, but I doubt any of you were like, Man, I'm just kicking mom because I like her pain. You know, I want to hear. Like, or they would say that you were blind from birth because your parents sinned. Either way, they would label you cursed. That's a pretty awful thing to slap on a ki- anybody, let alone a kid who can't see. By the way, it's terrible theology. Um, and not right, and it, but, but the disciples were caught up in it. So Jesus sees this blind man, and the disciples who are kind of following Jesus around, right away, they want to debate him. And so they asked Jesus, like, who, who sinned that this guy is blind? Like, they thought it was like, take us to school, Jesus. Let's have a theology class. Can we bust out our notebooks? I know it seems really nerdy right now, but can we ask you this question? Like, let's have a spirited debate. Sometimes we should just zip it. And watch what Jesus does instead of being so quick to try to find arguments that back up our own opinions. Jesus says, neither. <laughs> this man, essentially, I'm summing it up. This man is, is here. He's like, this is, this is because I'm doing something bigger. I'm going to show you my glory. It's going to be known by this man and through his life. Something amazing is going to happen. Jesus says that and he spits in the ground and makes mud. Now, that is so gross. And uh, just one of the grossest passages for a self-proclaimed germaphobe in the entire Bible. Do you know how much spit it would take to make enough mud for me to cover your eyes in it? <laughs> That's a lot of spit and saliva. Jesus, he spits in the mud. I wonder if the disciples were like, ooh. <laughs> you could have just said like, see? You know, like, shabam. You can see now. <laughs> Instead, and it's a mystery, but it's a beautiful mystery to us. Jesus spits in the mud and makes mud with his hands. And in what had to feel downright crazy for the blind guy who doesn't see what's going on, he smears it on his eyes and says, go wash at the pool of Siloam. The guy goes and washes at the pool, washes the mud and the spit mixture off, and he can see. And immediately, people start to celebrate. No! Immediately, people start to debate and talk about him. And right off the, the bat, I think there's two themes that I want to highlight to you before we get to the rest of the story. And the two things that I want to highlight is, number one, 
the resistance you face when you are set to move in the direction God wants to move you starts before you take that step. It starts before you get in the car to come to church. The resistance starts before you sign up to get baptized. It starts before you give your life to Christ. It starts before you decide that you are gonna use your gifting and your passion to help others. It starts before you decide you're gonna serve somebody, you're gonna love somebody. It starts before you decide you're gonna drop that addiction, before you decide that you need to kill that part of your life that has been destroying you. It starts before and it escalates as you follow God's direction for your life. You're looking at me like, great sales speech. Where do we sign up? The reality, though, is resistance is always there. Your choice is either to resist the resistance and step into something way better that God has designed for you, or to give in to the resistance and end up feeling defeated, exhausted, worn out, wounded, victimized, and ready to quit. It's always there. The second theme is the most important part of this whole message. And that is, while others make you the object of conversation, Jesus makes you the target of his compassion. Now, there's some wounded people in this place. You've been cut down by friends. They've said terrible things about you because you were gonna do something better and they liked you exactly where you were because it made them feel better about themselves. You have people in this room who have been under the unhealthy pressure and demand of a boss who does not want to see you succeed, just wants to keep you in that space. You've, some of you have even had parents who have, every time you've tried to take a step forward, they've just criticized and cut you down and told you all the reasons why you can't and reminded you of a past that you struggle to be free of anyway. That stuff, it really, really hurts. And the good news for you is not that you can learn to resist resistance, though that's what we're talking about. The good news for you is that when everyone else would reject you, criticize you, cut you down, tell you you're not good enough, highlight your insecurities, while everyone else cranks that noise up, Jesus is laser focused on you as the target and object of his love. He's different and better than all the other voices. Even the voices, this is where I could get myself into some trouble. Even a lot of the voices that come from churches 
and people with microphones strapped to their cheeks that stand on stages. Jesus is way better. The story goes on, and these people are debating Jesus and are debating what happened to this man, and the neighbors are like, was it him? He wasn't that guy, was he? And other people are like, ah, I think so. He looks a little different now. Like, really? His eyes are open, maybe. Like, he doesn't look that much different. They're debating. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't him. Everybody wants to find a comfortable space where this doesn't rock the boat too much, where it doesn't cause too much trouble. There's nothing crazy. After all, this all happened on the Sabbath, and we got rules about the Sabbath. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, like, I'm the man. How terrible is that? Like, instead of people coming along to celebrate his eyes being open, instead they're like, we don't get it. How were your eyes opened? Are you sure it's you? What's going on? Who did it? This is impossible. This shouldn't have happened. We don't believe it. God, have mercy, and never let us become those kind of people. You see, we are going to be a church. I asked this at 930. I'm done asking it. I'm just telling you. If you don't like it, find another church. It sounds funny, but I'm like as serious as a heart attack, and my elders are getting nervous. We are going to be a church that celebrates celebrates blind people seeing again, celebrates when people take next steps, even if they don't have it all together, even if they don't look like us, even if they don't act like us, even if they're not people we'd associate with, even if they struggle differently than us, we're gonna be people that celebrate. They asked him how his eyes were open. He says, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I could see. And where is this man? They asked. I don't know. They brought him the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, the religious important people. Everybody looked to them for guidance and instruction and all of that pizzazz. And now this is a point of interest because the day that Jesus had made the mud was the Sabbath. And this was important because they had rules about the Sabbath. They had so many rules about the Sabbath that they had their own book to help people understand what was written in the law about Sabbath. They added on a ton of different stuff. So they would say crazy things like, well, you can heal somebody if it's life or death. But if it's not life or death, they gotta wait till Monday or Sunday in that day and age, right? Like, like you can set the bone of your kid who broke their leg on Sabbath if they're bleeding out. But you can't set the bone of your kid's leg on Sabbath if they can survive the night. How jacked up is that? It even gets so weird as this, in this book that it says, I forget the name of it, somebody will know it, but in this book it says, you can spit on the Sabbath. All the dippers are like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I know where we are. We're in the skook. <laughs> Lots of coffee in between services today. God forgive me. Um, but you can't spit. I'm not kidding. 
You can't spit so much as to move the earth and create a ridge in it from your spit stream running down the bank. It's ridiculous, right? But we do it too. We add so many rules to this. and Maybe we wouldn't write them in stone, but we, we create rules that make us comfortable. Who's in and who's out? Who we have to love and who we don't get to love? What's spiritual and what's not spiritual? How church people should dress and how they should dress? How they should cover up tattoos or let them fly? We make all kinds of ridiculous rules that we add on, and we are not that far from the blind Pharisees who instead of celebrating what Jesus was doing, are more concerned about the rules that they created and the lines they drew in the sand. It's telling God what he can do (laughs) and what he can. How ridiculous is that? But there are theologians today who will tell God what he can do and what he can't do. They start debating, it gets ugly. They're asking him about how he can see, and he's like, listen, I don't know, man. He put blood on my eyes, I washed it out, I can see. I I couldn't see, now I can see. The beautiful of that testimony is that it's not dramatic, it's not big, it's not crazy. All this guy knew and all he said, and it was perfectly enough, was like, I couldn't see, and now I can see. I don't know all the answers, I don't know all the verses, I don't even know exactly who this is. I know who he was, that he... He stuck mud in my eyes and told me to wash and I could see. I don't care what day it is. I don't care what rule list you have. I was blind and now I see. It wasn't good enough for them. They said, this man is not for God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath and others of them start debating about Jesus and how can a sinner perform such signs. They turn around to the blind man who's still there. Dude should have hightailed it out, but he's still there. And he said, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened and the man kind of like doesn't know. He says, he's a prophet. They still don't believe that he's blind and he receives sight. They're arguing some more. They call his parents to the scene. The parents are there and they're about to get questioned. And they said, is this him? Like, is he the one? Was he blind? How can he see now? Like, you tell us what's going on. And they say, in an awful demonstration of parenting, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how can, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus as Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, de-synagogued, de-churched. The people who resist you are often resisting out of a place of fear and insecurity. It goes on and they, he's, they ask him a second time and they summon him again and they said, you tell the truth, give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. It couldn't have been Jesus. The man replies, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answers, I told you already. Like, you're not listening. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? I love that little like dig right there, Right? They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, 
We don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You're steeped in sin at birth, they replied. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now here's the best part of the story. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he, they, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? In other words, do you believe in the Messiah? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. I love that. You haven't seen much in your life, but you've seen Jesus. And that's all that matters. Maybe you've seen a whole lot of bad and not a whole lot of good. Maybe all you've seen are resistors, heartache, pain. But if you could see Jesus, it would be enough. In fact, the one who is speaking to you is him. The man said, Lord, I believed and worshiped him. There's some things about resistors that I think jump out at me from this passage and resistors will always make you the object of discussion. They love to talk about you and assume about you and hardly ever show you any real love. Jesus and his followers are supposed to view people as the objects. Jesus does and his followers should view others as the objects of compassion. Uh, Resistors always pick rules over Jesus a legalism over grace, following the letter of the law over love. They argue, and when their arguments don't get the point across, when their arguments don't keep you down, they will turn their attacks personal. And sometimes the resistors in our life, and I think sometimes the most hurtful resistors in our life, resist passively and are close to us. The people that hurt you the most are the people that are in your house or in your church. People who should be advocating for you and celebrating for you. And by the way, parents, this is terrible parenting by these parents. First of all, why wasn't this guy in their home? Why was he begging by the gates? Why were they not providing for him and caring for their blind son? What happened in that relationship that could have possibly justified these parents casting them out? And why, when the moment mattered most, were they not celebrating? Instead, because of their fear, they were siding with or getting themselves out of the conversation, looking for a way out, even though it meant that their son was the one who was stranded in front of this vicious crowd of religious people. We're supposed to advocate For our children, love our children unconditionally. That's on the side. It's frustrating, sad, and discouraging when the resistance cuts so close to home. But as the voice of the resistors gets loud, what's so beautiful is Jesus is intimately close. You may have been burned by church. People have hurt you. 
heard some of your stories. I hope they haven't happened here. You may have been hurt by people close to you who were not supportive when you needed their support the most. Friends who betrayed you when what you needed most was their love and presence in your life. And the encouraging thing is that entire time, even through the cloud of disappointment, Jesus has been pushing closer and closer and closer to you. Jesus found the guy. The guy didn't find him. And maybe you came here under this faulty pretense that you are going to explore this Jesus, that you are going to seek and try to find him, when all along he has been finding you and drawing you to this place. He is intimately close, even if it's messy, even if there's spit in the mud or in your eyes, you are the object of his compassion and love. It doesn't matter what labels people have put on you. It doesn't matter what they have said about you, what lies have tarried about you, or how much guilt you have been carrying because of your past. You still are. You always will be the object of the love of the creator of the universe. I got some some things I gotta leave you with. One is, don't be a resistor. They're critical, they're cynical, they're always looking for what's wrong instead of looking for Jesus, and they're governed by fear. I know your insecurities make it really hard when other people take a step forward. Don't be a resistor. Instead, be somebody be it with us, somebody who celebrates every step someone takes towards Jesus, every step someone takes toward health, every step someone takes towards their purpose, every step someone takes towards love. Another lesson is you fight the resistors, but don't fight them on your own strength. This is one of those situations where you have to say, God, the voices of those who are criticizing me, who are trying to put me down, who are trying to drag me back, are really loud, and I don't have the strength to listen to it anymore, let alone push past it. I need your voice to be louder, and I need you to dim their voices. In my weakness, make your strength known, and he will. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. Find a faithful friend who is faith-filled. A faithful friend. I know, I know you like to rush in here late and leave fast. 9.30 was squirming too, right? Like, we, we do it. I, I do it. Some, I, sometimes I, I know I love people. I just don't like them. Sometimes there's too much going on in my life. I don't want to have a conversation. I certainly don't want anybody to ask me how I'm doing. And it seems like an easier task to just go and come in and come out, right? Like, stop fighting when you crack the door open in the parking lot. Hope that the parking lot attendants didn't see the argument going down or you reaching into the back seat to grab somebody. Put a fake smile on. 
Come in two songs deep. I know you do at 11 o'clock, coming in two songs deep. Squirt out right at the end. Listen, you're hearing a message and maybe singing a song that might inspire you, but inspiration doesn't last. It doesn't last. What we need are faithful and faith-filled friends. Somebody who gets you, who's taken steps too. And I wanna challenge you, don't be so quick to rush by the people that you come together with every Sunday. There are a ton of people in this room with a past like yours, with a struggle. This is not a place full of really churchy people. I don't know if you figured that out yet. It's full of people just like you, with struggles just like yours, with fears just like yours. They've messed up parenting just like you mess up parenting. They're, they've treated employees poorly just like you've treated them poor. They have to say sorry just like you have to say sorry. Their relationships are going through the same mess your relationship's going through. They have the same past you have. You would be amazed if you would let these people in because they are people just like you, just trying to do the same thing. Take one step closer to Jesus one step closer to Jesus shirk off all the judgment of everyone else beat all the expectations and just take we need a faithful and faith filled friend be quick be quick to admit your own blindness so that you can see instead of acting like you see everything you know everything when really you're blind. The real blind people in this passage was not the 30-year-old dude or about who sat on the corner begging and couldn't see with his eyeballs. The real blind people were the most religious people in this story. Who are you gonna associate with? The blind dude or the church people? What's your life gonna look like? Someone desperate, you're stuck and sunk if God doesn't do something to change your life? Or someone who's acting like you have it all together all the time? You see, the real sight comes from saying, God, I'm blind. <laughs> I need you to guide me. I need you to help me. I need you to make me see. The beautiful part of this story is that Jesus found him. Maybe you've been cast out of church. <laughs> An outcast through and through. Somebody put up a line, made you feel like you don't belong. You, you don't belong here. You're not good enough. You don't know enough. Maybe you've been de-churched like this dude was de-synagogue. Maybe people have cut you down and filled your heart with all kinds of wounds and all kinds of scars and you feel like an outcast or like you're not good enough or like you don't belong or like you can never step into God's plan for your life. Here is the best part. He chases the outcast down because he loves you. They may throw you out, but he accepts you. No matter who you are, and please hear me, no matter how messed up your life has been, no matter how jacked up your past is, no matter how many times you have failed, no matter how many relationships you have blown up, there is room for you in his kingdom. What you receive from him is 
far greater than anything you will ever receive from anyone else. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you give sight to the blind, that you help us to see. God, would we be found closer to the blind man than the religious? Make us a church that celebrates every step, every step someone takes closer to you. Do not let us become so enamored with our little ridiculous constructs of religion that we choose legalism over love and rules over grace and law over Jesus. We want to be like you. And for those who have been, especially maybe now, maybe even some of us, don't, this doesn't even apply at all, but maybe there's a few people in here that have really been facing resistance in life. In your mercy and grace, would you help turn down the volume of that so they could hear your truth and your voice and your care that they would see you for who you are, that they would know you are close to the brokenhearted, that they would rely on you for strength, that they wouldn't give up, they would just crash into you instead. Help us to be people that celebrate, see others the way you see them. In Jesus' name, amen.